Hey, Stranger Rangers, this is Bree. This is Patina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. So <laughs> thanks everyone for tuning in. We appreciate you tuning back in. I have a bit of a roller coaster doozy, anything that you want to call it. This is one hell of a case. Um, and I love our setup that you don't know what I'm doing, right? So right. hopefully this kind of, um, it's it's a well-known case, but I hadn't heard of it. Um, and I think that's just because of age that we mm-hmm. um, were probably around the same age as, uh, as this person that was involved. So, you know, when we're the same age, we're not going to hear it on the news as much. Right. So. Um, this case is going to be from California and more specifically from Vallejo, California. This is the case of Mitzi Sanchez. And because sometimes I don't enunciate as well, I'm going to spell out her name and that's M like Mary I D S I. So Mitzi, not like Missy or Mindy or whatever else you can combination um we're gonna go back to august of 2000 so back when what was like what were the songs in 2000 i had just moved to arizona at that point because like y2k oh my gosh yeah definitely y2k okay well obviously backstreet boys millennium oh yeah for sure that album but also i'm thinking like who let the dogs out is that oh, probably yeah potentially and the thong song oh my god cisco you're welcome holy <laughs> shit i have to look up uh when did who let the dogs out yep 2000 2000 yep and Man, sorry Cole guys don't mind one. the i know he it's we're we're beyond nap time we got like a short little nap on our walk this morning and then we're we're a little overtired so i'm gonna like sporadically mute myself in the background when i don't have to talk so with this information so back in 2000 we're you know listening to who let the dogs out on august 10th 2000 mitzi sanchez that was her eighth birthday it was a Friday. So with it being a Friday in August, school was in full swing. She actually had to go to school that day. She begged her mom to stay home that day because as any excited eight-year-old who's going to have a birthday party that night, she's excited about friends, party, gifts, you know, setting up for her birthday party. Her mom said, no, you still have to go to school. You can't just stay home from school the whole day because it's your birthday but when you get back home we're going to have that birthday party for you we're going to have everything set up we'll have your cake we'll have your gifts we'll have your decorations so she went to school that day she had a brother who also went to the same school as her her school was an entire seven blocks from home so she went to school that day school started at 7 a.m she walked to school with her brother And then as the day went on as normal, she completed her school day and her older sister was already home and would be expecting 
her brother and sister to be coming home from the elementary school. So I'm only assuming that the older sister was maybe in middle or high school that she would have been home already at this point to be expecting her smaller brother and sister home. And so at around 4 p.m., her older sister, who was expecting the brother and sister home, notices that Mitzi is nowhere to be found. She's seven blocks away. So unless she got caught up in some kind of conversation, long conversation with a teacher or something, she's not where she's supposed to be, which is at home now to be at her birthday party. So the sister raises the alarm. She notifies mom, like, hey, mom, sister's not home. Mitzi's not home yet. Mom calls the school, calls teachers, calls friends. No one has seen her. And so that is when the police get involved. There is everyone's looking out for Miss for Mitzi now. This is within an hour. Everyone's looking for her. School got out around 3, 3.30. Then by 4 p.m., police were involved already. They were looking for Mitzi. And her brother was an older brother. A little bit older well. brother. And he had gotten home just fine. Gotcha. Yeah. And so police were involved. Uh, they were looking for Mitzi. It's a small, not small town, but it's like a, a medium-sized town for Vallejo. You don't get too many. Uh, there, There is main roads and there is a big population, but not uh, super metropolitan area like Los Angeles or Seattle. Sure. Right. And with tips with people trying to to help find Mitzi, unfortunately came a tip that called in from a landfill worker that said he had recently found a bloodied blanket or like sheet from a bed in the landfill on August 11th. So the police went to trace that down and found that it came from a nearby hotel motel. And they couldn't find any connection to Mitzi Mm -hmm. at this point. I mean, this is one day after. Okay. But they still put some efforts into looking for more information or evidence in that landfill, at least in the area where that bloody blanket was found and nothing was found. Sure. And then on August 12th, so she's been missing now for two days or Mm -hmm. day and a half, whichever way you see it, but on two calendar days later, at around 11 a.m., the police get a call from Carl Tafua. He is a truck driver, like an 18-wheeler, long-haul mm-hmm. type of drug tri- truck driver. And he is telling them that there's a girl who jumped into his truck and was telling him that she had been kidnapped. And there's that man that was chasing her. Her name is Mitzi Sanchez. What? Yes. Because he was he was really quick thinking. He not only harbored her safe in the cabin of his truck. Sure. But he got on his CB radio. And when he saw the car that she accused the man that kidnapped her being in that car, he took down the license plate. Wow. Okay. Because of that information, they were able to track down the owner of that car about seven to eight hours later while he was at his home in a trailer park. And this girl, like, like she met the description of Mitzi and everything. It was Mitzi Sanchez. 
Wow. Okay. Lindsay Sanchez. Wild. So now that we know went missing two days Mm -hmm. later, she has been found. I'm going to tell you the incredible and truly incredible is the best way and the best word that I can use to describe the situation. It's an incredible story. Like it is hard to believe that she went through this Mm -hmm. and she survived it. But her harrowing story of what she had to go through and how she got herself out of that situation. Totally. So we're going to step back and look at the day of her birthday. Okay. That Friday, it was her birthday. She went to school. And everything that I'm about to tell you is retelling what Mitzi herself has gone on countless podcasts countless videos and interviews and talks with people to share her story okay so these are all the pieces that we know now from her what happened that day or those days that she was missing so like any other eight-year-old eight-year-old kid she was super excited to have her birthday party and go to school and like You know, it's probably one of those school days, like I said, that you can't even focus at school because, you know, you have cake waiting at home. It's your birthday for sure. So she was super excited. She went to school all day. And then when the school bell rang to go out, she usually walked home with her brother and some friends. They did the seven block walk together and, Mm -hmm. you know, friends stemmed off. But this day they were going to head to her house, too, for a birthday party. She usually waited in a certain spot for her brother and the friends, but she was so excited to get home that she didn't wait this day. Okay. She started the walk all by herself. I was wondering how that would have happened. That how she her got brother would have, Yep, exactly. So because she got disconnected, she started walking home and... This is routine, right? Same seven blocks, no deviation from that. But she did notice that there was a brown Oldsmobile parked on the side of the road on her way to her house. Now, Mm -hmm. to paint the picture, her house was on one of the, if not the busiest street in Vallejo. Okay. So it was one of those houses that they're on the main road. There's maybe some parallel parking at certain times, but for the most part, you got three or four lanes each way type of thing. Like it's a big road. See, I hate that. And then like our brief little stint of house hunting last year, anything that would come up that was off of a main road like that. I'm like, there are so many reasons why I would not want personally my house facing a main road. And number one of them being that we have a child. Yeah. Well, yeah, not only, at least in my world, the first thing that I think of, I was like, I, I've seen way too many cases where cars are crashed into a house. Yes, exactly. Or just your car in street parking can be damaged. Yep. Which I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want a drunk sideswipe on my car hit and run. Exactly. No, thank you. For sure. So she noticed this brown Oldsmobile car and this is 2000 so I'm assuming this was like a 80s 90s type of car um I think it was a two-door the way that they painted in every picture I think it was a two-door car mm-hmm. so as she's walking up to it um she did mention that she was raised to 
be nice and help people and help those that are older than her and at least say hi kind of thing, you know? Sure. So when she started walking by, there was this man standing outside of it. Come to find out that would be Curtis Anderson. Okay. So Curtis asked her for help. He said that he had hurt his back or broken his hip recently and needed help reaching something in the floorboard of his car, Mm. a roll of duct tape, unfortunately. So she thought in her head, this will be quick. Do my good deed for the day. Hand him the roll of tape. Be on my way. Continue on to my party. Yeah. When she reached in to the passenger side floorboard to reach the roll of duct tape, that's when Curtis put his entire weight on her, pushed her into the car. She, of course, tries to fight. Right. But she gets shoved in. She gets overpowered by this grown ass man. She's a little eight year old girl. And he quickly shut the door, went over to the driver's side and took off like a bat out of hell. Gosh, that makes me sick. Her initial reaction, of course, was to pull on the door handle. Yeah, that's just natural reaction. He had already rigged it where the door handle didn't work. Mm -hmm. So he knew what he was doing for this will come back this will come back very clearly Mm -hmm. so right away he pulls out um couple minutes she gets they go straight onto the highway from her house they get onto the highway and that of course gives them a thousand possibilities of what to do where to go yeah they pull into a parking lot that's an empty parking lot and he forces her to change clothes that he had in the car of course, we know as adults that that's so no one says we're looking for a girl in a pink shirt and, you know, blue pants or whatever. Right. So it's different. So she's not immediately recognizable. Now, from everything that I've gathered, it sounds like it was kids clothes that he yeah. had already available for her to change into. Now, at this point, this is when he begins to tell her that no one has ever gotten away from him before. So she shouldn't even try. Oh my gosh. I just cannot even imagine being an eight-year-old. Eight. Eight-year-old. In that situation. Baby. You're what? Second grade? <clears throat> uh, third. Third, maybe? Yeah. Third, third grade, maybe? Wow. So... <clears throat> After he forces her to change into these clothes, and I don't know if it was new clothes, used clothes, dirty clothes, whatever, still makes her change in the car, mind mm-hmm. you. Of course, no privacy. She's already, you know, wondering what the fuck is going on. Right. He can. He gets back in the car. He continues driving, and they go to a rest area. So this tells you they are off the highway, not too far, because if you have rest areas, that means you're on a highway stretch. Right. So they pull into a rest area where um, he puts like towels and like closes the windows and whatnot. Just so for lack of a better word, there's privacy. So there's no one can see in the car. Mm-hmm. She sees the bathrooms. They're at a rest area. She asks to use the bathroom and in her head, she's thinking maybe that's how I can get away. You know, when I go to use the bathroom, I'm able to run. Right. No, he pulls out a Tupperware and makes her go to the bathroom in the car. 
sadly enough, this is literally something that I always think about anytime we stop at a rest area <sighs> off of a highway. Cause oh, you know, you go in the stalls and you see like the, um, the flyers with the phone numbers for, you know, mm-hmm. kids that are being trafficked or, you know, even kidnapped yeah. in a situation like this. And there are always cars that are parked there yeah. that people are napping in, you know, people are on road trips or that's just kind of their lifestyle. And that's where they yeah. stop. And I always, always, always think of kid abductions. Yeah. Anytime we stop at a rest area, because it's, it's such an easy area too. I feel like for people to just like turn a blind eye, either you're in a rush to use the bathroom and get back on the road or you have kids, they're driving you nuts. You're hungry. Like you're just distracted with so many other things. And like you said, not my business, you know, you're just kind of there to get in and get out. And I feel like so many things like this can just pass you by and you don't even give it a second thought or a second glance and it's hard because like the the not my business uh feeling or attitude towards it i feel like that's even more so nowadays mm-hmm. someone is not going to want to speak up step in even ask like hey are you okay are you good right because it can be seen as a um personal attack sure or, um, or you're stepping over judgmental, yeah, right, about either how they're dressing or uh, you know how they're acting or whatnot or what they're driving, because if I see a you know dilapidated car with a kid that doesn't, you know what I mean. At mm-hmm. some point, you have to use your judgment. You have to judge a situation. But I think that um, those decisions, I think people are more weary now more than ever of wanting to speak up. Definitely, and, and say anything. Now, me, I don't give a fuck, and I'll <laughs> right. ask. Um, even if they're like, "What the fuck are you asking?" You know what I mean? Whatever. Like, I'll I'll still ask because, right? I do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So, not and, and I don't know if humiliating is the right word for this, but it, I'm assuming it has to be to and uncomfortable to go pee in front of someone you don't know in the car it's just weird and gross and in a tupperware in a tupperware and what she describes is that this car is like full of shit oh i'm sure disgusting just full of shit clothes and food wrappers and you know everything just gross car so at that point um because it's nighttime he decides to put a chain around her ankle and then ties the other end to the gear shift of the car. Now, I don't know how the setup of this car worked. I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find out how the gear shift works. And I think, I, I don't know, but he put something around. He put a chain and lock around her ankle. That's sure. the point of that. Part of this disgusting car was that he had a bottle of alcohol in it. Mm. Not only did he drink, but he also forced her to take alcohol to drink oh, alcohol God. he then That's so disgusting took out polaroid pictures that he had of other women that were naked it wasn't specified that if it was women or kids or girls but it said women so I'm, I'm gonna go with women at this point sure but then he brought out the polaroid camera and took pictures of her as well naked 
or just it wasn't her. it wasn't specified gotcha i oh. sexual assault is present so i'm assuming probably the latter right unfortunately yeah. unfortunately so mitzi doesn't go to sleep she refuses to go to sleep because she is looking for her window of opportunity yeah do something say something get someone's attention she can't sleep she is like hyper aware of her surroundings um while they're in that rest area she does see cop lights come into the rest area Mm. but in the back of her head she's also heading hitting that warning of don't try anything so the cops never come close enough for a quick second she gets a you know glimmer of hope thinking they're there for her they're not the lights go away and i think this was just a cop like you said checking those cars that are at rest areas for too long so if they see a car there for maybe 24 hours because i think at that point it becomes illegal to camp there right so probably they're probably just checking license plates make sure none of them have been there for more than 24 hours right So at that point, no help yet. So on August 11th, he puts her in the floorboard of the car and puts a blanket over her and starts making different drives and stops around town, Mm -hmm. mostly to pick up like cigarettes and more alcohol. Apparently he's a chain smoker. She does try to pick the lock while she is oh, he's out on one of the stops and she's in the car alone. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's hard and she doesn't have any tools that would be helpful for her. Plus, she's an eight-year-old. How many locks could she have picked before? Well, and poor girl, it's the middle of August in California and you're being left in a car. That in of itself is oh. heinous. Yep. Ugh. He... On one of his stops, he gets out of the car. It's a quick stop. He comes back in. And then I don't know exactly how the conversation went afterwards, but she realizes that he actually stopped at her parents' house to get flyers that were meant to help look for her. Stop. Yeah. What a psycho. So he parked the car in front of her house. She's, Uh of course, covered in the blanket. So she doesn't know where she's at. Right. But he went and parked her right in front of her parents' house while they were looking for her. That's like some Paul Bernardo shit. Like the Ken and Barbie killer, you know, raping Mm -hmm. their daughter in in the backyard or front yard of their house. You're going to just like have that little moment of tease and control. And oh, that's disgusting. That's what it is. That control, you know. So after they leave there, he lets her sit up on the front passenger seat of the car. And she is looking for that opportunity that a passing car is going to look at her and that she can mouth, say something, help me, whatever it is. Sure. She said, we're driving through by hundreds of cars. Like we're in traffic and no one looks at her. That is so sad. And not that she would have been able to yell and get help, 
but it's just sad that's like you're visible but right. you're invisible totally that i just i i can't help but ha- think that she felt helpless and that's just yeah oh, it hurts right here i'm like oh poor baby uh-huh so um he that august 11th he goes in parks again um at a different location and this is when he she describes it as he put her into the driver's seat um and this is when he sexually assaulted her gotcha mitzi says i didn't cry in front of him (sighs) i did not let him see me cry eight years old it that is just like oh my gosh it's just so hard to imagine and especially when we cover these cases talking about little kids like her that's like how and where did you find the strength and maturity and the wherewithal to understand the situation that you were in and really like understand what it would take to survive it yeah you know like it's just unbelievable these human instincts that we have and how young that they can super young happen yeah you know oh that is just so painful to hear so she still doesn't sleep i know i know she was like i didn't cry i didn't want to cry in front of him so this entire Mm -hmm. time from the moment that he pushed her into the car and the initial like yelling I'm sure it was like, you know, let me go, you know, whatever, get off of me. Sure. She didn't cry in front of him, which I'm telling you, this story is incredible. And Mitzi's a badass. So, yeah. From there, she still doesn't sleep. So, she is almost on 48 hours of no sleep at this point. And he has also not fed her. So, she has no food, mm-hmm. she has no nutrition in her. She's exhausted exhausted and one of the things that it just man it struck a chord with me she said that recently before this I believe it was an uncle or a family member was talking to her and introducing her to God before all of this happened okay and had explained to her how you can pray and ask god for forgiveness and that's how you go to heaven to an Mm eight-year-old you explain it simply right sure oh on this night of august 11th she said she remembers praying and as an eight-year-old what she had to ask for forgiveness for is being annoying to her older sister and that was the only thing that she could think of and then she thought if she died she would go to heaven Oh my gosh. Yes, honey, you would have 100%, but wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Isn't that just like, <sighs> yeah, so heavy. Seriously. It's so heavy for an eight-year-old and it's so full of innocence because she's like, the worst thing that I've done in this world is be annoying to my older sister. God, please forgive me. Right. Like that's the worst thing that she could have done. Like it's, it's on the same level as like, sorry for not eating my vegetables. Like it's so sweet and innocent. Yeah, totally. So the next morning comes along 
and he is in a pattern in a routine of leaving her in the car to go buy cigarettes, go buy more alcohol. And on one of these trips, he parks the car. She's on the floorboard of the car. He leaves to go buy something, but he quickly turns around and reaches in the car. I don't know if it was like to get a wallet or to get some money or something. This is how I'm picturing it. And she mm-hmm. was covered, so she couldn't really see either. Right. Um, he drops something, tells her, do not look. And she does look when he leaves. He had dropped the keys to the lock. There was a bunch of keys. She grabbed the first one that looked like would fit. It fit. It turned. She unlocked it. Because the car door wasn't working, she had to jump out the window. Oh, wow. As soon as she jumped out the window, she is, again, still no sleep, no food, no water. Her knees buckle under her. So she can't run. But she can still walk, slowly but steadily walk. Eventually, he comes out of wherever he's at, and he sees her out of the car and starts yelling at her to get the fuck back in the car. All she knows to do is walk towards cars. Yeah. Walk towards people. Something other than him. (laughs) She's trying to flag down cars. As an eight-year-old who I'm sure looks disheveled at this point, No one stops for her. So as he's gaining on her, her last resort is, I'm going to step in front of this truck. So she makes this truck stop that Carl was driving and then jumps in his window over his lap into his cabin. She just used like that last bit of strength that she had. Everything she had. Do that. Wow. Everything she had. So after Carl called 911 with the license plate because they saw him speed away in the car because he saw that she'd gotten away, they eventually have, they wait for him or they find him in, the, in this trailer. So she's taken to the police station. She's reunited with her family. And the story does, I mean, that is her kidnapping story, right? For her, her life story, her, her mission in life doesn't end there. So she's taken to the police station. She's reunited with her family and they, um, and you know, she's a victim of sexual assault at this point. So they have to do like a rape kit and they have to do like a full, you know, intake of her information and everything on her body. Totally. they reunite her with her family and it's something that is uh you know a big part of this case where community friends people this is only 48 hours after she had gone missing and it was after her birthday party so when they're bringing her back home dad's carrying her everyone sings happy birthday to her it's this whole beautiful moment oh that is so sweet now in so before she went missing in 19 on December 9th, 1999. So about nine months before Mitzi went missing, there was another kid from Vallejo, California, Ziana Fairchild that went missing. Her case had gone cold. Mm-hmm. 
Mitzi was home for all of two weeks before little eight-year-old Mitzi was like, let's go keep looking for Ziana. Let's of course all the efforts that were put into me, all the people that want to volunteer, passing out flyers, let's continue looking for her. Because if I got away, she could have gotten away or sure. she could be alive. Right. Unfortunately, in January of 2001, so four months after Mitzi's mm-hmm. kidnapping, Ziana's remains were found. And the autopsy report showed that Ziana was unfortunately probably murdered the same night that she was kidnapped. Now, in April of 2001, the trial begins for Curtis. Mitzi takes the sand. And she testifies against him. Of course she did. She is stoic. She has a teddy bear with her. But she answers every question clearly. Points right at him. Goes over Mm -hmm. the entire ordeal that she went Mm -hmm. through. He was sentenced to 251 years. That's not enough. (laughs) While he's in jail, prison, he confesses to another murder, which is that of Amber. And this was Amber Schwartz. And she was missing from Pinnell, California, I believe. Um, and he's also saying that he claims up to 13 other girls. Wow. Did he ever admit to the um, Ziana? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Ziana. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But he says that he will not give information on the 13 other girls unless he gets better accommodations in prison. Okay. Yeah. What are we talking, sir? We can, no, we because can, he, we can get you some chips. If well, there's you, a recording uh... <laughs> where he's like, if he's put into gen pop or something because it's a crime, a sexual crime against kids, like he's going to get killed. Sure. Like prison rules. You're, you're the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Go ahead and give us all the information that you have. We'll put you in gen pop and we'll let um, the piranhas take care of you. Yeah honestly yeah like i'll give you a steak for your last meal if you want like exactly what what else do you want no doubt so mitzi's life um continues yeah parents family her they in in hindsight they say that they just continued living life as if nothing had ever happened which in hindsight is probably okay. not the healthiest thing to do. Yeah. Probably want to talk about it. Totally. So at school, she says that she wished if, if she could do it differently, she wishes her parents knew to take her to another school in another city mm. where kids didn't know her mm-hmm. because she got dubbed the kidnapped girl. Yeah. She said and that was a tough age too. Oh, I mean, you're brutal. coming up on puberty. Kids are already mean at that age. And brutal. then you're trying to like navigate all of that whilst having this yep. horrific thing that happened to you. And then that, yeah, that's, 
totally that's so tough she said that kids would pile up around her like 30 40 at a time and just bombard bombard her with questions and some would just say the meanest things like we you know you we, we could have you should have died and just like the worst <laughs> of the worst like kids are kids are so brutal and have no filter Mm-mm. um so as she became a teenager she discovered alcohol yeah and she would you know mm-hmm. not the wrong i mean yeah i mean you're with the wrong crowd if you're a teenager and you're drinking a lot but um when she was 16 she saw the poster the missing kid poster for sandra Cantu, which was a girl that was around eight or nine i believe too so mm-hmm. it immediately she was like oh my god i want to help so she immediately grabbed that poster she got her friends got three thousand posters donated got her friends go pass them out she was doing interviews and of course the news stations wanted to interview her because of her past and how she was helping with this new case um and that's when she finally had that spark within her that was like oh this is why i'm still alive I'm helping people through their trauma. I'm here to give them hope. And I helping them helped her is what she said. For sure. Yeah. To be a voice for those kids when she didn't feel like she had a voice. Exactly. And advocate for them. So for those 10 days, Sandra Cantu was missing for 10 days. Unfortunately, on the 10th day, her body was found Mm. in a suitcase. This is the next case that I'm going to cover the Sandra Cantu case just to, you know, full circle this because it's a very interesting case as well. But because of this case, when her body, remember, she's 16. Right. And she had gotten sober for those 10 days. And for a 16 year old to say they got sober for 10 days is a lot. Totally. When they found her body, she kind of felt um, like she had given them false hope. Oh. And so she spiraled. She binged. Mm. On May 1st, 2009, um, she and her friends were drinking and driving. She was in the front passenger seat and they were in a bad car accident. Oh, gosh. She flew through the windshield. Her nose was broken. Her neck was broken. Her back was broken. And she was in a coma for two weeks. Holy shit. Yeah. 16. Wow. After that, luckily she came out of a coma. And that's That's when she found out that she was actually pregnant. Uh, why did I know you were going to say that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It gives me chills. That's when her, that's when her life changed, you know, obviously not immediately everything made sense, but her having that spark when she was helping a family and then now finding out that she is going to be a mother, it changed her life. Um, and that is when she found religion. Um, she found Christianity mm-hmm. and it just 
she, she felt like she was called to start a foundation to help parents, help families when they have missing kids. It's the Mitzi Sanchez Foundation, Stay Alive. And they give families the tools to help when they have missing children, like guiding them through the process. You know, let's contact sure. this. Let's do this. You know, how do we recruit more volunteers, et cetera. So all those tools, and I believe there's financial aid in that as well, mm-hmm. um, but it helps them navigate through that process. And she's really found her calling in doing that. Um, so it's, uh, isn't that a wild story? That is that is amazing. That is wild. Yeah. It truly was a roller coaster. I'm glad I was drinking a soda water during all of <laughs> that roller coaster. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And I mean, really like such a sad, but such a beautiful story that that is the ending of it. You that's, know, yes, a hundred percent. It's so painful to hear about people that have experienced those types of things and lived those lives and had all of those high highs and those low lows, but then like to really, truly come out on top, not just for herself, but for so many other people is, I mean, what a hopeful story. And also to just really also, I've really all like always believe this. And I know that it's really easier said than done, but like, you don't have to be a product of your experiences. Yes. In, in the way of letting it determine, um, you to go down a a bad path for the rest of your life. You know, I know that we have to go through things and learn lessons and that's how we grow and, you know, become better people and learn how to be compassionate and empathetic and stuff like that. But that's just amazing for her to take all of that. Yeah. To then be the woman that she is today. That's incredible. It's a, it's a, it was a long ride for sure. And it, like you said, high highs, low lows. Like she, you go from kidnapped to found to living life. Yeah. To trying to help some families, but then that didn't work out. And then mm-hmm. car accident, coma for two weeks. Like yeah. That's, Going through a windshield before but find, that. But then you find your calling. Like, yeah. Um, and it, not that everything like that needed to happen like that. I'm not saying I'm glad it happened like that. Right. But of course, I'm glad that she found what she was meant to do in this world. A hundred percent. Because no one else could empathize with a family than someone that has gone through it like that you can try and empathize as much as you can you can be for there for someone you can give them a shoulder to cry on you can help and you can volunteer but having someone in the room or on your side that you know isn't just saying oh I know I know but actually means it can can help hundred percent. So just, it makes you feel so much less lonely when you're able to yeah. connect with somebody that has walked that same path, no yeah. matter what that experience may be, yeah. you know, it also, um, just her whole abduction makes me think of something that I saw the other day and I am 100% going to teach this to our son. It was talking about, um, 
teaching your kids that if a stranger comes up to them and tries to abduct them, don't scream because that can just come off as a kid throwing a temper tantrum, mm. you know, and like we just talked about at the beginning, it's so early or it's so easy to just like yeah. look the other way, but teach your kids to scream. This is not my mom. This is not my dad. This That's is so my smart. mom. This is, I know because then someone's actually going to look and be like, what do you mean? That's not your mom, you know, and it's actually That's going so to smart. encourage more people to look and wonder what the heck is going on than just seeing a screaming child and being like, oh man, they didn't get the lollipop that they wanted, you know? at the Man. convenience store. I was like, that is brilliant. And I will definitely be teaching that to our son as he gets older. So on one of the recordings that, um, that Mitzi did on one of the podcasts, she was talking about, um, you know, because they asked her like, how early is too early to start talking to a kid about this? Or, um, and she did mention that even at eight, she felt like she was sheltered she hadn't had any kind of conversation with her parents about like private parts or like, you know, sexual parts or moments or whatever, or like, you know, no, no spots or whatever. So quite literally she was taught about sex. Yeah. When she was sexually assaulted. Right. Um, and she wished she would have known differently or learned it differently. Of course. Um, but she also, with her daughter, she said that um, she recommends teaching a kid as soon as they can talk. Naming different body parts so that if, knock on wood, something were to happen, they can say, you know, it's the difference between your head and your shoulder and your elbow. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as soon as they can talk, they can help themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. She said that she taught her daughter, you know, what is uh, appropriate touching conversations, uh, interactions mm -hmm. with other adults and whatnot. And her knowing all of that information, of course, you know, they're still babies, so do it gently. But sure. um, her daughter was able to avoid a situation where she would have been sexually assaulted at wow. a really young age, like four or five. Oh my gosh. So she's like, I am, she's like, teach your kids as soon as they can start talking. Cause it For was sure. a family member of all things. And because so she's able sad. to speak and I'm sure say no or whatever the situation was. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's weird that Wild. we have to have this conversation. I mean, mind you, I my parents, I don't know. See, my parents had those conversations with me when I was young, too. I remember mm -hmm. my dad saying, like, don't go into a room with someone or, you know, don't follow someone, you know, whatever. And touching here and here is not OK. And, sure. you know. Man. Yeah. And it well, and it's sad too. And yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I don't think that there is a, oh, it's too early for parents to talk to their kids about that kind of stuff, because sadly enough, you see it um, so much it, and I feel like it happens to kids when they're so young, because yeah. the assumption is, is that they don't, they don't know to say no. Right. They don't know that it's bad. They right. get manipulated into this is what 
an uncle does when they really love their niece. This is how right. uncles and nieces They're nap teaching together them. or exactly. So yeah, I mean, they're blank sadly. Canvas, so they're telling them, no, this is okay. And no yep. one's told them, no, it's not okay. Exactly. So they don't know any better. Yeah. They're naive. They're, they're that innocent. They don't know yeah. any better. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, good for her for, I mean, silver lining in that, her own experience and knowing to teach it to her daughter that young. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a wild story. If you want to check out her foundation and what they do, I'm using my phone for that, but I, so on Instagram, it's underscore stay alive underscore. Okay. So if you guys want to check that out, check that out. I hope you are enjoying uh, the videos on Patreon. Um, I try to put in some of the pictures as we're talking about it. It's almost like I kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah, Um, you do. (laughs) So it's, uh, I hope, hopefully you guys like that. Um, Let me know how that's working for you. If you're a Patreon, I'd love to hear some feedback. If you're listening to us on any other platform, we'd love to get a five-star review. Um, even if you have some constructive criticism for us, give us a five-star review. We'll work on it um, yeah. and we'll get back to you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it really helps us. And when it's not a five-star, it really hurts us. So we'd appreciate the fives. Um, awesome. So I think that's it for this case. Thanks for going on that roller coaster with us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, we'll catch you on the next episode. And as always, don't be a stranger and we'll, we'll not see you all then maybe on Patreon maybe. With the video, but, uh, you'll be tuning in then. Yes. Goodbye. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye.